Welcome to Take Care. This is the podcast that helps you understand the background and habits of change makers. Host Rish Sharma and his guests give you the wisdom to help you learn a little more and get a bit better every episode. Hey everyone, on this episode of Take Care, we have the co-founder of Doe Lashes, Jason Wong. Hey Jason, welcome to the Take Care podcast. Happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. So I'd just like to take uh, some, if you could take some time and uh, introduce yourself to the to the audience and kind of tell them what you're trying to build it at Wong Haas and, and what you've built thus far with uh, Doe Lashes. Yeah, for sure. My name is Jason Wong. I'm the CEO and founder of Wong House Ventures. We're a brand incubator where we create exciting DDC brands, uh, help accelerate through our team and network and resources. And one of our biggest brand right now is Doe Lashes, which is a false lashes um, focusing on creating weightless comfort for everyone. So yeah, super excited to talk about that today. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So what was the genesis behind uh, Wong Haas Ventures and uh, Doe Lashes? The simple, cool explanation I give to everyone is that um, I kind of see Wong Haas Ventures as a way for me to um, get my antsy hands into a lot of brands without, you know, the typical nuances of creating a lot of brands. So One House Ventures is essentially a team of excellent operators, creatives, and what we do is we build really, really cool stuff. And that really is driven by the fact that I, I have this thing, what my mom called the three minute hotness, where I like to jump from things to things and things. I don't like to be on one single thing for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you're probably not going to see me build like the next Amazon because that's got to take 20 years. I'm building very rapid, big brands for three years and then get them acquired. That's really the entire premise of mm-hmm. One House Venture. So it's really a way for me to do a lot of things at once mm-hmm. um, and being able to control it. And Doe Lashes um, is one of our DDC brands right now. And the main goal for Doe Lashes was to create comfortable products for your eyes, which I believe is one of the most sensitive part of your face, but mm-hmm. no one has really excelled in creating great products for it. So one of our first um, point of attack is false lashes. And then eventually we're going to move into other verticals within an eye category. So that's really what's behind Doe. Nice, nice. And what was the insight that you saw um, that propelled you to go and in, in, uh, target do, the Doe lashes in the false, false lashes category? I just felt like lashes needed innovation and that was largely driven by me observing other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, personally, myself do not wear eyelashes, but I don't think that singles me out to not be able to create products within that category. A lot of great fashion designers for women are men. Yeah. And I feel like for me as a product designer, the same principle applies is that I like to design things from an engineering perspective. I like to look at the materials, the shapes, 
everything that comes into creating a product and see what I can improve on to that. And for me, observing my own girlfriend struggling to wear lashes and keep them on all day and just finding it so irritating to be worn the other day gave me the inspiration that can I create a better version of this? And after doing some observations and research, I realized that I could. There's a lot of things that I could personally change about lashes, such as the supply chain, the product, the material, and even the way that it's manufactured. So all that those things combined together was really what drove me to create though. That's great. That's great. And if you were to give advice to uh, any young entrepreneur that's out there or first-time entrepreneur that's trying to manufacture a brand new product in a new category, what are some top tips that you would give them as they're assessing a potential viable business or not? So the first things first is understanding the why. Um, I I don't believe that you should create a product and a brand just for the sake of creating a, a product and brand. There really needs to be a very strong underlying underlying motivation to creating it. So for me, it was creating something drastically different, something that is innovative, something that is unique and actually usable. There are some entrepreneurs out there that want to create something just because they see that it's the next trend, but that's that's not very sustainable. You're going to get burned out. You're going to lose your market. It's going to get saturated really quickly. So first understanding what is your reason and purpose of creating this product and brand? Who is the target audience that you're going after? What is the problem that they're facing and what is the solution that your product can provide to them? And after understanding that you essentially have a North Star that you're chasing after. So kind of imagine yourself sprinting towards a goal. Those whys are forever going to be the goal that drives your innovations, your creative, your marketing and everything in between. Um, And that's really the biggest advice I can give to people is that you really need to understand what's your purpose on it. Because if you don't have a very strong core purpose for why you're creating it, you're going to get chewed out by your competitors who are innovating in some aspects and remember like consumers in today's age are seeing hundreds about thousands of brands every single day if you don't have a very compelling purpose and value add that your product is giving why are they going to click your ad why are they going to stop scrolling to look at your your product you really need to horn down that why Mm -hmm. and uh have you i mean it sounds from back your background and kind of things that you mentioned that your mother talks about to you that uh, you've always had this entrepreneurial mindset in in your background. Um, So what was that thing that made you kind of jump into entrepreneurship as a a full-time thing rather than kind of, you know, join a startup or join other opportunities to kind of satisfy that? Um, What made you kind of take that, that leap? I have a very um, weird personality I don't even know if you want to call it personality or character trait, but I, I like to do my own thing because I, I just cannot depend on other people. Mm-hmm. And that might sound really bad coming out of it, but it's like, I like to take things into my own hand and I, if I can control it, I would like to control it, which is why I would make a very horrible employee. Um, unless, unless if I'm an employee, you're giving full permission to do things on my own, mm-hmm. as long as I need the objective, then I can perfectly do that. But I just know that I want to work for myself because I frankly have a lot of these crazy ideas that I want to execute. Some people may not agree with it. Tactics that I like to deploy that are not traditional, um, but have somehow all worked out in the past. So that's really what drove me to become an entrepreneur. But really the tipping point of me being a doing this on a side versus doing it full time was really the when I was sitting in 
class in college, I was taking first year computer science classes and I was having a Shopify store on the side. One of my biggest breakthrough is this product called the Mean Bible, which is essentially a, uh, a coloring book that I release at the end of each year that gathers all the po most popular trends and memes of the year and putting it into pastime activities. So hang, hangman, word, word search, et cetera. And that product I launched with less than a few hundred dollars. And on the first day of launch, I did $4,000. Second day of launch, I did 6,000, 8,000 the next day. And eventually I did $100,000 in a week. And I was just sitting in class thinking about, wait, why am I taking classes if I can make this much money selling stuff online? Mm -hmm. But you see, I only dropped out once I saw that there was very viable sustainability in pursuing e-commerce. A lot of people make the mistake of seeing that other people are having success with e-commerce and then dropping out and spending the next, next eight months figuring out how to do it. I tried to mitigate my risk as much as I can. So focusing on school and work full-time and then only really leaving and going to e-commerce full-time once I see that there were numbers to back it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very prudent thing. I think right now on social media, you see a lot of fake gurus out there kind of preaching, you know, drop out or do, or, you know, you make a hundred thousand dollars in a day or whatever. It's super simple. Right. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a really prudent message that you're saying to kind of secure yourself, understand the medium and then kind of proceed going forward. Um, so where do you see in the current climate of e-commerce and DTC brands um, where the industry is going? What are, what is the new consumer that's emerging after COVID uh, going to be wanting, going to be attracted to what types of brands and storytelling are they looking to? Um, and in terms of product category, definitely a lot more emphasis on self-care. When people are more uh, spending more time at home, they want to take care of themselves. So you're seeing hair products, skincare popping up in trend, doubling in revenue. <laughs> um, eye cosmetics, which is the industry that we're in, also see an uptrend because of mask wearing. When you're wearing a mask, the only thing you can see is your eyes. So mm -hmm. definitely cosmetics and beauties are doing phenomenal. And then another trend that we're seeing is definitely home goods. When people are spending more time working from home, they want to decorate their home. So you're seeing paintings, home decor products, and even furniture is now selling out. There's wait lists for months for furniture. But that's just some of the trends that we're seeing. Now, in terms of what consumers are seeing, um, I, I like to speak more on the Gen C audience just because that's more of my specialty. Yep. Gen C audiences definitely want to see more authentic brands. You know, they all the legacy brands that you're seeing out there that have been dominating the household names for many, many years are no longer appealing to the Gen C audience. Gen C are now going after DDC skincare brands, household brands, um, drinks, beverages, food, because they want that experience that these DDC companies can give to them. So in a way, Gen Z audiences are looking for brand intensity, but they also want to see innovation that household brands, frankly, cannot perform. Um, and in addition to that, they really want to feel related to the brands that they're purchasing from. They want to see if the brand's values are aligned with their own values. They want to see if the brand's aesthetics are aligned with their own aesthetics. Um, just many, many of these touch points that I feel like are becoming more and more emphasis for Gen Z purchasers. And somebody that might be older or not understand kind of the Gen Z aesthetic or experience that they would be looking for, if you could just detail a little bit further kind of what that type of experience, what that type of authenticity that they're looking for in a tangible way that maybe somebody that doesn't understand could really grasp. 
For sure. So there's multiple touch points between a brand and the consumer, right? The first touch point is probably the ad that brings them to the website. Then you get the website. Then you get the email, the SMS, and then the final product. And within a product, they look for unboxing experience. People don't want to just get something in a brown box that is taped shut and then the product's tossed in there. Nowadays, you're going to see a lot more brands innovating in the unboxing experience because generally people want that. Why? Because more and more of these social media platforms are incentivizing people to create content. And by creating an amazing unboxing experience, you as a brand get the free publicity, but the consumers are also getting that content that they can create with your unboxing experience. So in a way, we need to create more content and touch points as a brand to give consumers that social incentive to create content for you so it's a very interesting and mutually beneficial relationship if a brand is able to do it correctly but for the older audience that are trying to appeal to a gen z audience really the quickest way that i say is a cheat sheet to do it is to hire gen z on your team many many brands i've seen in the past have done somewhat poor job at appealing to a Gen Z audience because they're hiring 30, 40 year old executives to try to create marketing campaigns to appeal to the younger audience. Now, if, if you have that team appealing to the traditional audience that you're targeting, that's totally fine, but you cannot use someone who doesn't understand the, the generation, someone that doesn't understand the community to create copy and assets to try to appeal to them because it would just look so, so stale. Mm-hmm. And a pretty, really prime example and something that I personally uh, observe is for TikTok. We try to create our own TikTok account and our own TikTok presence with our own social media manager who wasn't in the TikTok community. And our content just wasn't performing up to expectation. What we did was that we went into the TikTok community. We hire a creator who's native to TikTok to become our TikTok manager. And we've seen tremendous growth in that platform. So the same principle really applies to anyone trying to appeal to a specific market is that you really need to have the the type of people that you're trying to target on your team to drive towards those initiatives. I think there's a lot of gems in in what you said. And, you know, if I'm just curious to see, is there any other channels um, that you've seen success other than TikTok catering towards Gen Z? Is it Instagram? Is it Twitter? Is it where, where where are you seeing other other growth channels for that Gen Z audience? I'm doubling down on TikTok. I'm not even okay. making a second option. I'm doubling down on TikTok. It's it's frankly one of the best platform for any brands right now. The discovery of brands on that platform is a match because of the algorithm. If you go on Instagram and you have zero followers, you're going to reach zero people unless mm-hmm. you put some hashtags on your post. Yep. But on TikTok, we're seeing creators and even our own brands have having hundreds of followers of being able to reach millions of people with the right content, just if mm-hmm. it hits. Yeah. And I, I say that being a formal influencer myself with over 32 million followers, I know this firsthand and I know that this platform is a match. There's literally no other platform on, on the market today that can reach the discovery potentials of TikTok. There's none. I think that's that's great. And I think so you're taking the tactic of going deep with TikTok rather than being omni-channel on several other platforms. Yeah. Okay. And uh if you could just describe, you know, you said mentioned that, you know, every, after three years, ideally, you'd like to kind of get your get the business acquired and move on to another another product, another business to acquire, whatever it may be. Um, what do you look for in 
in a business that you would look to start or acquire? Uh, I know you mentioned the why, but is there other particular verticals? Would you try to double down more in, like you mentioned, skincare, hair care, that type of stuff? Or would you be moving into a whole different category? What's your thought? For me personally, I think after Doe, I would really like to explore more on the B2B side. Um, having been in the business for so long, I know that the DTC brand is a grind. It's There's no easy way around it. There's just so much moving pieces. So with all the information and knowledge that I've earned over the past few years, I really like to explore more on serving other business, other founders, and creating solutions to help accelerate their growth. And I think I'm in a position to do that and service this market just because I've been in both sides. I've been the business that need help with these tech solutions, and I've also been on the business side where I'm able to um, create solutions for them in a smaller scale. So understanding both of these components and knowing that I can create the bridge between that, um, it's honestly very motivating for me to pursue that vertical. So to, to answer you, I think my next acquisitions will probably be um, SaaS products, SaaS <laughs> solutions, and maybe even retail solutions for DTC brands. Okay. and. What are some of the challenges that you faced thus far in, I know you mentioned TikTok wasn't taking off initially, but is there any other big challenges that uh, as before you were launching or as you were launching Doe Lashes, for example, that, um, that you faced along the way till you hit the success that you have today? Yeah, there, there's a lot of problems that are frankly not too sexy, you know, people that don't post about it on social. So, you know, the, the biggest problem is building the team, the right team, putting the right people in the right places and ensuring that the systems are, are efficient in place to uh, facilitate communication between the teams. Um, finances, no one ever talks about finances. You talk to any gurus and anyone posting on social, no one ever talks about, you know, what's your cash conversion cycle? What's your cash flow? What's your, you know, PL? You know, how do we manage all that during growth phases? Can you find financing solutions? Can you even make it to the next month with all the overhead costs that you have? No one ever talks about that stuff. Yeah. But the biggest issue that we were facing is obviously like finance, um, teams, legal, you know, making sure that we are legally compliant for the products that we are launching. These are the problems that no one ever talks about. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone talks about, oh, I can't have a 1.5x ROAS on Facebook. Yeah. Like, uh, my ads aren't doing too well. Everyone talks about all, all that stuff, but no one ever pays attention to the numbers, to the teams, the things that are really, frankly, what makes the company. Yeah. And the common things that every founder will go through, and we're going through it as well. Okay. And um, is there any process or methodology that, it, that you go through when you're addressing a problem that's in your business? Or is it kind of you just assess each opportunity for what, what it is? I, I go through the first principle process where um I, I look at what are the facts of the matter you know listing out every single facts of the event who's involved what needs to be done to achieve these results and and really plan it out as much as i can in a logical flow so i like to look at things from a holistic perspective and then tackling everything in like small components that's how i like to process problems and create solutions in my head everyone approaches it differently but yeah. for me i like to understand what what is within my power and what is not mm-hmm. i think that's uh, quite prudent so i'm just going to move to the final questions um is there any particular routine or a personal routine morning routine a routine that you do when you get into the or you start working um is there any positive impacting routines or habits that you have in your life planning 
um, really planning out your day, your week, your quarter, your year um, is extremely important. People don't realize how little time we actually have. You know, when we look at a year, there's 365 days, 24 hours in a day, but you're only really working for a fraction of that time. If you don't plan accordingly, you're gonna spend time on things that are not efficient and you're, you're going to do things a lot slower than everyone else. And one of the biggest things that allows us to grow so fast is that we're very, very strict on our deliverables, our plan of action, and making sure that we're always staying within a timeline. And all of that breaks down to planning out our days. Like I have a to-do list of what I need to do today, what I need to do next week, what I need to do for this month. Everyone on the team has that. We check, we do status checks with everyone on the team to make sure that we're aligned. Everyone make sure that they have what they need from everyone else to pursue a marketing campaign. And it all comes down to planning. <laughs> and it sounds easy, you know, like just yeah. go planner, right? But you'd be surprised at how little people plan and how much that really ends up hurting them. Yeah, I mean, uh, in my past experience, it's all about building on contingencies, right? So there's always somebody contingent on another person and you have to make sure that everybody's aligned and, adjust to the market. So uh, definitely understand the, the planning is highly important. Um, so I'll just move on to the next question. Um, you know, what do you, I, we like to on the podcast kind of talk to various founders or experts out there um, and kind of take the other side. So what are they doing on a regular basis to kind of take care of themselves, that personal care, that self-care on a regular basis? Um, because that's just as important if you're going to have the stamina to to last a long time um gym eating healthy and um planning out your day and, and i'll elaborate on all three fitness for me personally is the escape from the office is one of the only times in the day where i actually leave the office which is now within my home um and fitness for me is very much just like running a business there's specific goals that we want to hit and there's specific processes that we need to um, do in order to reach those goals, whether it is three sets of, you know, bicep curls or, you know, three sets of bench press, having that fitness and having that goal and roadmap allows me to have a very clear head at the end of the day, but also really teaches me to be disciplined. Number two is meals. Um, a lot of founders, you, you'll see like a common meme is that we just drink Soylent and skip meals and, and whatnot or eat junk food. And I, I think it's very important to have your nutrition for the day. I take supplements i drink tea in the morning um, to give me energy and taking the right supplements and the vitamins for me to you know be energized throughout the day and that's really really important mental mental health mental clarity is also really important number three is planning out my day and it's not gonna be duplicate of a previous point but like when you go about your day without planning for it you have the extra energy that you need to use to think about what you need to do mm -hmm that's extra energy that you, that's so much stress that you probably shouldn't put on yourself. But if I have a list of things I need to do for a day, I know exactly what I need to do at what time that removes the mental energy that is needed to think about what I need to do next. So planning out the day really helps me get into a good mood, getting into a good routine. And that's really what makes me productive. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, so I'll just, la uh, two last questions. So the next question is if you were to go to dinner, um, obviously when lockdown is not in place, um, but if you could go dinner with three people, uh, dead or alive, who, who would you love to kind of go to dinner with and, and have a conversation? 
Um, I would really like to meet Anthony Bourdain, um, the TV show for food, which is completely out of my industry. But I, um, one of my dream jobs was actually become a travel host. Um, mm -hmm. If I wasn't doing e-commerce and I just had a bunch of trust fund money, I would love to do that. Um, but, and then, um, second will probably be Jack Maud. I, I look up to him a lot as an entrepreneur. He's the founder of Alibaba, mm -hmm. um, largest e-commerce platform on there. And really, I, I want to talk to him, not for what he's built today, but how he came to be on to building Alibaba first. And you, you might not know this fact, but like he fell 20, 30 times applying to jobs yep. before he can start uh, Alibaba. And I think as founders, it's really important to take a look at the failures and understanding what the learnings are from there than to look at the success, because it's probably really hard to replicate the success without understanding the failures that took them there. Yep. Um, and then number three, um, this is a hard one because there's a lot of people I want to grab dinner with. <laughs> um, number three would probably not be an entrepreneur. I, I do want to grab um, dinner with my dad. He's still alive. Um, but I don't get to see him often and I just want to like chat with him and, and give him an understanding of like life. I, yeah. I think in, in business, there's a lot of intersection between um, understanding how life works, how people works. And I feel like my dad is one of the people that really understands that. So mm -hmm. I'd love to get dinner with him more often, but he's in Hong Kong. So I see him like every few years. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's probably the third person I like to get dinner with. Nice. Nice. And then finally, um, if listeners want to connect or follow your journey or Wong Haas's journey, um, where can they reach out to connect? Um, where, where they can reach me? Yep. Um, find me on Instagram at pug. Um, or if you want to ask me questions, you can always email me jason at wonghouse.com. Um, I always answer to my emails unless you're selling me something on the first email, then that probably gets annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a real pleasure. And I think the audience got a ton of value. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.